When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's film study once again. We're still looking at this week four loss at home to the Cleveland Browns. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's wild card baseball season. I don't think there's anything better than these one games, all or nothing, every pitch counts. <laughs> so I love this. Even if the Orioles aren't there, it's all right. I'll cheer on the Brewers tonight. All righty. So, right, um, so, Ken, we're going to – tonight's guest is a guy who – you watched the film about 10 times for the Ravens games before you have to talk about it. Uh, our guest today, Glenn Clark, hops on during halftime to talk about the game and immediately after the game in order to talk to the game and then spends the entire week talking about the game. So he doesn't he has to come out with his uh, reactions immediately. Glenn Clark, how you doing? I'm great, Josh. It's great to catch up with you. I hope everything's great in Florida. Ken, uh, appreciate you guys having me on and 
Um, half the time when somebody brings up a play, I literally sit there saying, I know what you're talking about. I just have utterly already forgotten about it because I've had to vomit out thoughts about this every five minutes. And so the worst thing someone can do to me is during the course of the rest of the week, ask me what I thought about the Ravens game. If you do that, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> All right. Well, happy to have you on, Glenn. I think this will be an entertaining episode. Bring a sense of humor, certainly, and a lot of knowledge of Baltimore sports, and we're excited to get that perspective. Uh, in, in particular, I'm interested to hear what kind of calls you're getting this week or what kind of reactions you're getting via Twitter or via however you take yeah. feeds while on air. Yeah, it's different these days, right? We do Facebook, we do Twitter, and really have cut back on calling. I think the biggest things about this week, and I, and I think you guys aren't surprised by this, I think the first thing that's jumped out the most is how bad is the defense. Um, and I think that's in the context of not having Jimmy Smith, not having Brandon Williams. Did those things alone fix it? Maybe not so that it's a great defense, but enough that you don't have things occurring let it, like have occurred over the course of, say, the last 10 quarters of Ravens football. Um, and I, I don't have a direct answer for it. I don't know. I don't think this is a very good defense necessarily, even with those guys. But I sure as hell think it's better than what we saw on Sunday. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens as those guys get back into the fold. So that's the first one. I think the other interesting one is is sort of the sea change that we're seeing and where the pendulum swings between the need for the defense to be better versus the need to just sort of decide that this is who the franchise is now and they need to be a franchise that scores more and continues to be aggressive. I think that's a really interesting sea change this organization is going through at the moment. And look, clearly they went out, they spent a bunch of money on Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas's name is the most talked about name this week in Baltimore sports media, not because he's been terrible per se, but just because he hasn't been great. He hasn't made game changing plays and that's what you spent a boatload of money on uh, Earl Thomas to get. And then you combine that with, obviously, the uh, bad optics of him running off the field on the Chubb touchdown and the um, him getting into a fight with Brandon Williams after the game. And Earl Thomas has sort of become public enemy number one around these parts until he actually starts making the types of big plays that he was brought in to make. So those have been the big sort of takeaways this week after a debacle on the field on Sunday. All right. Well, Thomas certainly has been vilified. There's There's no doubt about that. Uh, another player who's been not particularly well thought of in the last few weeks, in the last couple of years, frankly, here in Baltimore, is Tim Williams. Uh, obviously, he's been in Hogwarts Doghouse for some period of time. Today was cut. Uh, he finished the game, oddly, in the second quarter with four consecutive snaps that occurred on the last drive of the first half. Hmm. One of those was the 65-yard play to Landry that was 8 plus 57, he, he there was he was running slowly, but he, he you'd have to give out eleven traffic tickets for going under the minimum speed to the Ravens on that play at various times. Uh, what what really bothered me about it was going back and looking at those four plays. I can't see what else there was about it that Williams would have really been flagged for that point as that's the last straw. You're out of here. You're never playing another snap as a Raven. Hit the bench, and after the game, you're going to be gone, kind of thing. That's interesting, Ken. You know, the, the sense that I get and the time that I've been around, obviously, the Ravens and John Harbaugh is that it's probably more likely something that occurred during the course of the week. Now, again, the timing of why did they put him out there in the first half and then just suddenly decide at halftime, you're done, that's it, that's the end of it. Um, I, I'm going to guess those are two different decisions. The decision to get rid of him altogether is one that they have been thinking about for some time. Uh, a lot of times this organization will sort of challenge a player, and when that player doesn't answer the challenge, um, they'll kind of feel like they're in a spot where they almost have to do something drastic because otherwise, what was the point of challenging that guy? 
it's a it's a disappointing thing again i to answer in in the game it's a fascinating question because um as you describe it you're right there's nothing that particularly alarms you that occurred in the course of the game that would say okay that's it that's the end we're not going to play another snap but i think the tim williams problem is probably far bigger than this game individually and more than the things they've been asking him to do um he's, he's just not getting there and trying to rely on just being a guy to say hey put me in in this situation let me go after and get a passer I, the Ravens are just never going to be an organization that does that. They're not going to give goes, those guys those opportunities to just do that one thing. Um, not under John Harbaugh. They never have been. It seems as though they never will. It's kind of kind of a variation on no block, no rock. The defensive variation is you don't just get to rush the passer without playing special teams or without doing some of the other things. Uh, Matthew Judon and, and Pernemok Fee completely overused. You really have to be at a point where you want to make a statement to Williams and perhaps a statement to the rest of the team to sit him down after playing so little in that first half. So I, I think I think there have been a, a whole lot of things leading up to this. There's, there's been Williams has probably had attitude issues. I think he had issues with staying in shape and being back in shape coming off an injury last year. But there were times, particularly in camp in 2018, when he was being praised by Rosberg for playing good special teams. You know, it seems he'd make an advances this this year. This game in particular didn't play any special team snaps. I haven't really looked back to see how many he played this year as a whole. But I mean, he was a guy I was hoping, you know, looking at the at the complete dearth of snap taking ability on this roster at outside linebacker and the right. need to play approximately two point three per game per play that he would play maybe 40 percent of the snaps. Right. Well, you combine that with the uh, when you say dearth, it's it's staggering, right? Like mm-hmm. the, it's, it's not just that. You're overusing Matt Judon and Pernell McPhee. It's that you genuinely have nothing. I mean, it's there's nothing there. There's, you know, Jalen Ferguson's been active but hasn't been doing anything. It's pretty clear they don't want to go that route. Um, I, when when you're talking about bringing in guys like Dakota Watson to look at, I, I I'm I'm lost. I'm lost as to what the direction that is. And I think that goes back to the, the you know the question that I've been asked about this week. I don't know how I can think this is a good a particularly good defense even when they have Brandon Williams and Jimmy Smith just because I don't see how this gets solved short of a miraculous turn of events with a Ferguson or a Tyus Bowser or somebody along those lines. This isn't going anywhere. And by the way, this is with the top guys healthy at the moment. Like imagine, you know, knock on wood that one of these guys were to get hurt. Um, This is a disastrous area for the Baltimore Ravens, which in fairness, we kind of knew coming in, you were just sort of hoping that the numbers game would work itself out and somebody would take a step forward. Boy, has that not been the case. I mean, Tyus Bowser had like a play on Sunday that was pretty decent, but yikes, there is just nothing there. Well, but Bowser overran the 88-yard run, and I'm upset about that too, and I think Harbaugh made a statement to sit him down at that point. He's He's got to get a talking to, but he's a Sam linebacker, and that's already right. kind of a unicorn. So next year when Judon is gone, if Judon is gone, I mean, Bowser has to take a bigger role. Whatever and this is the looking, part. Yeah. Ken, I, I, I think I, this is... I think this is the part where we, um, we, 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 I think we missed this in what losing Terrell Suggs was going to do. Not you specifically. Mm-hmm. I'm saying in general. Um, I think this city missed this part in, in not understanding the value of Terrell Suggs. So I get it. You know, you're at a point where he's deep in his career and I mean, the age of the whole thing. Um, but how much of a complete linebacker Terrell Suggs became um, over the years, I think was largely missed by a number of people and how significant he was 
not just as a guy that could rush the passer, but as doing these things that we're talking about, how good he was against the run in recent years. Hell, he was decent in pass coverage in recent years. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it's staggering, and I get it. There's nothing you can do about that today. He's gone. It's what it is. Um, but I really do believe that's something that people have genuinely not understood the significance of around town in losing Terrell Suggs. Well, Terrell Suggs was the best run-defending edge defender of his generation. And it's, it's not close. He's by yeah. far the best. And and they, they don't have anybody who's going to step up at the same level and do the amazing thing that Suggs could do to undercut two players sometimes on the edge and all of the things he knew in terms of football savvy to do things. Much better run defender than a pass rusher, by the way, Suggs. Uh, but I want to get back to Ferguson for a second because he, you mentioned his name. And he's played a few snaps now, 16 snaps against Cleveland. The Browns averaged... 14.7 yards per play with him in the game on those 16 snaps. Big plays are having a way of fighting. I've got one more. The previous week, he had nine snaps, 18.1 yards per play on average. So, so far this season, uh, I'm sorry, it's too large to fill the screen here, but it's about 15 or 16 yards per play he's allowed. Uh, it's out, out 15.9. I can tell you that right now. It's 398 over 25. Wow. <laughs> that is awful. Yeah. That's a disaster. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I don't think that he's going to be the answer. Uh, not at the moment. I don't think that he's solving this problem. But you're, you're right about the other guys are looking at. There are no world beaters in there, and there aren't any. You know, the, all of these guys are our first, second, third men on the street at their positions, if we're fortunate. You know, there have been some of those guys have already been signed. We're already talking about dipping back into the Willie Henry bucket, perhaps, Jesus. to find that other guy for the for the practice squad. Uh, who could be good? I'm not sure that would be the worst thing, but but you know I've heard conflicting reports about what where Willie Henry is physically right now. Anyway, this is all too depressing. We're supposed to be having a show about the offense. News about the offense actually pretty good this week. Yeah, let's take a moment though first and talk about the state of the division in general. And obviously this is a huge loss for the Ravens. They're going to come back and and you know have to play a game obviously for 12 more weeks. Gambling markets, unlike Ravens fans, have not yet given this market, given this division to the Browns. In fact, the Browns remain favored on a cross section of UK books that I look at. It's about 20 books that give a line on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the percentage chances implied for these, uh, Glenn. I want you to tell me who would you put your money on among these four teams right okay. now. Okay. All right. So right now you get to, you can get even money on the ravens so so the with the vig taken out there's a 48.5% chance of them winning the division okay cleveland 2.38 per dollar there's a 40.8% chance they win the division pittsburgh you you get $10 back on a dollar it actually works out to be a 9.7% chance that they win the win the division and cincinnati 101 is the best price a 1% chance they win the division i'll, I'll probably pass on that um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, with the numbers like that, I mean, I, you would want to put money on Pittsburgh, right? Like, that would be the route that you want to go just because of the, the, the payoff. Now, you know, my faith in the Steelers, I, you, I'm not there, but I, I do sense that there's something that they're building, figuring out what it is they're capable of doing with Mason Rudolph as their quarterback. The question is, does he have a, a next level? Can he improve as a downfield thrower? If he can, then, you know, we're talking about something entirely different, but... Um, just the way they're using the middle of the field, there's there's something to like there. So based on those numbers, you take Pittsburgh, and I sort of get what's going on. I, I, I feel like this is a, okay, get back to us after the Browns 49ers game, which is 
They played a really good game, but we we also saw a lot. And the schedule is still a little tricky for them. Now, in fairness, the schedule is tricky for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they even still have three really brutal road trips um, outside of the division. They still have some tough games at home. It's a really tricky division for everyone, a really tricky schedule for everyone. But I feel like it's a let's wait one more week, which, of course, is I think is a better what you want to do. The problem being uh, what you learn this week is going to drastically change, you know, yes. right, than what you're able to get money-wise. So I, I certainly understand why, why there's a, a sl- some sort of slow pace as far as buying into the Browns after one performance. Um, and people want to see it again against the 49ers. I'm going to take a counter argument. I wouldn't take the Steelers at nine to one right now. I don't think they're they're in that ballpark. They beat the Bengals. They beat one of the worst teams in football who I might be in the that. in the two of sweepstakes. I think the Browns at at uh, you know 2.38 are looking pretty good in terms of the return you get on your money. I I I, I don't like the Ravens as much at even money. Right now, as I like the uh, as I like the Browns. So anyway, that's where I, I sit on that. I probably agree with that. I probably agree with that. The only thing I'd say about the Steelers is I don't know how many teams right now are built to stop things in the middle of the field, right? Like I think that why we not while we knock what it is that we've seen from them offensively that it appears limited with Mason Rudolph. The truth is, I think the Ravens are not the only team that is struggling right now in the middle of the field. I think there are a few. So I I don't know that the Steelers can't steal some wins this season. And somehow find themselves in the mix. But the only way that they're going to end up figuring out a way to win the division is if ultimately they can get more um, in terms of downfield passing, which I, at, today I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, let's move on a little bit. We'll go to Lamar, talk about what happened in this game a little bit. I, I'll give you some of my notes initially, then I want you to chime in with what you've got. Cleveland played lots of zone defense in this game. And one of the things that really showed up was a, a stat they call aggressiveness on next gen, which really should be called contested throw percentage. So it's okay. the percentage of throws that are. Yeah, I, I obviously knew that clearly. I clearly yeah. knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't know that? Josh. That's why that. I'm explaining it to you. <laughs> it's the percentage of throws that are within one yard of it, where a defender is within one yard. And I think the only one he threw, because it was 2.9%, this was 134th, was the one long one to Andrews that was intercepted. So we had mm-hmm. one bat batted up out of his hand. That wouldn't have been within one yard, at least I don't think so. Right. Uh, right. That's, but but the but the one to Andrews certainly was, and uh, it's it's a, a strange day. But one of the things Lamar's done very well is to keep the ball away from the defenders, and it's incredible. He has a day where he only throws one ball the entire day that's within one yard of the defender. It gets picked off, and so does another one. It's just hmm. weird. Hmm. Um, I look I. I, I, I didn't think Lamar was great on Sunday, right? But I didn't think he was bad. I, I thought it, I think the way that you describe it, it's a weird day. It was absolutely a weird day, right? Like some of the nitpickiness that we'd have with Lamar were balls that we all know probably should have been caught anyway. Um, you know, the thing that happened with Chris Moore is is inexcusable. It's it definitely needs to be a better ball. It needs to be a better ball. But for Christ's sakes, it's like Jeremy Macklin in Pittsburgh two years ago, where yes. you just forget that football fields have sidelines. Um, and, and how we've all forgotten about, I mean, Jeremy Macklin, Jesus Christ, the football fields have sidelines. You have to remember that. There has to be some amount of awareness. Sure. Can Lamar throw a better ball to a wide open wide receiver? Of course he can. Well, he but tried to do receiver, too much on the play. One of the things was that he, he needed to just be willing to fall on his face there after he tiptoed, which is what receivers right. are taught to do. And instead, right. he was really setting up to make a run and, and try and get six, which... He's a he's a fine player. He's a good bad ball catcher, but this is one where he where he really uh, fell apart. 
And uh, I sort of, I, I think you understand the idea that a guy that's not been in the mix is trying to do too much, right? Like he's trying to find his way back into uh, the rhythm of this offense. He's trying to do too much there, but God, I mean that it's, it's such a, it's a play that hurt them. So there's like four offensive plays that you look at and you say they're plays that reasonably could have gone another way. And because they didn't, the game looks drastically worse than it probably really was. Okay, let's play a game then, Glenn, with this, because I think there's more than four, but we'll each name okay. one until you can't name another. Go ahead, name your first. So the, Okay, so this one obviously would be the, the one that jumps out. Um, the second one being the third down throw to Mark Andrews, which is, is there for him to make. But again, the, could the ball be thrown better? Of course it could. Of course that ball could be thrown better, but Mark Andrews still has to catch that football. Uh, they, and that ball was not a typical thrown way behind the receiver. That's a back shoulder kind of a behind right. the receiver. And you got to be able to catch that. I agree. How about Jackson's fum, uh, Jackson's stumble when he was in the open field after the 29 yard run? Okay. So the, it's funny. Cause I was going to bring up the 29 yard run later. Um, it's actually a play that I liked other than, yes, correct. The, the stumble. Um, okay. So then, uh, we'll go back to, we'll go to the, look at the Mark Ingram fumble, right? Like the Mark Ingram fumbles goofy. There's nothing about that. That says to me, that's not a ball that Mark Ingram should hold on to. The Ravens were methodically moving it for a couple of drives. I mean, one, they had to settle for a field goal. Um, and they continue to methodically move it on their next drive. The, the game, the tenor of the game changes on a goofy sort of fumble from Mark Ingram, where the Ravens never see the ball again in a one-possession game the rest of the way. Right. Now, there, that was actually Jackson got the fumble, and I think deservedly so there, although I have a hard okay. time dividing the, the risk of that. It's a handoff. The handoff was not completed right. successfully. Goes to Jackson, and it looked like Jackson was trying to fu- pull the football out of the right. mesh. Yeah, right. right. So, anyway, we, we're agreed that play belongs on the list anyway. I, I, I'll add another. The, the, the Andrews wheel route is just mm. unbelievable. <laughs> That, mm-hmm. that that was not thrown over the top and, and maybe for a score in that situation, but at least for a big game. I, I don't disagree. And I'll throw in, uh, look, it, it, the fourth down play, I look, I, you know, there's so much there. I don't know if it's fair to say that's goofy necessarily as much as it's just a flat out mistake. But at the same time, it, it's a play that, that it's there. That, that was there. It probably wasn't the best option on that play, but it was there. It can be made. You can get that first down if you just all know what you're doing in that situation. All right. Um, I, I didn't like the fact, and this is another Mark Andrews play, that Andrews didn't go up for the long bomb. It was double coverage, but okay. that ball was placed perfectly for him to go up and get the ball. And I think if he goes up there, he either makes the catch or draws the pass interference foul. Okay. Okay. There's something to be said for that. I, that's probably where I'm tapping out on plays that I remember like this, but, but this is, I, it, it's a handful. Uh, Brown had a drop in the middle of the field. Brown was unable to dig out the touchdown in the end zone. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, there were other things I thought from a, from just a, uh, it's not a play design, but from a coaching perspective, maybe that they didn't go to the no huddle quickly enough. And in the second half, the Ravens really dominated snap count. So uh, you know, it wasn't a mat- the first half was all Browns, but the second half, the Ravens could have could have taken some chances, and and frankly, they needed to catch up, so you need to take some chances. Uh, right, correct. And so so and here's the other one too from the first half that really I'm I'm super annoyed by, but I'm I'm reasonable in that I don't know what I would expect to have happened. I was really annoyed by the decision on third and sixteen. I was really annoyed that a team that is trying to be an aggressive attacking offense and whose quarterback has largely made good decisions in third and long situations. I don't think you need to fear disaster right now 
when you try to do something on third and long. Now, do I think that it's likely that they would have converted third and 16? Of course not. I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not stupid. I understand how math works. Um, but to just not even try, to just give up when you had gotten a stop, I, I don't know that this was a game where I expected it was going to be a field position game. I don't know what about your defense suggests that a field position game is the type of game that you should be trying to play in the first half right now. Um, just sort of giving up on third and 16 on the first possession really irked me based on what the Ravens are trying to be right now. Right. I, I agree with that. And uh, they're eight of 17 on third, make it eight of 18 on third and 10 or more. So yeah, it's you know, not unreasonable. Right. That's pretty freaking good. Yes. And again, I think the biggest thing about it is it, if, if they were eight or say eight of 18 and four of them were really terrible decisions that Lamar Jackson made, and there's a real risk, you think, um, of what could go wrong in that situation, I, I'd maybe hear you out. I think that for the most part, we've looked at those situations this season and seen that Lamar Jackson has made good decisions, some of which have That's worked, right. um, others of which, frankly, he knew just weren't going to work. I don't think that we've seen disastrous decision-making from the quarterback on, on third and long situations. So to just not even give him a chance to make a play there I, I have no idea how that gels with other decisions they're making, with what we think they need to be as a football team. It was a really, again, within reason, because I know it's still not likely that you're converting third and 16, but it really rubbed me the wrong way that that was the tone they set for this game was to just give up and decide to punt the ball back without taking a chance. Right. It, I would I would agree with it that it was worth taking some sort of shot with throwing the football. There's one other that bothered me, and that is the third and six play late in the game, which preceded the fourth and three, where they ran Thanks. the ball for three Run. yards. Yeah. That's, that was odd, and then they, then they of course, had the botched wheel route on fourth down. So it's you know, just an odd set of circumstances. Harbaugh talked about the offensive line play being good. And, by the way, a four-sack game, I'm immediately suspicious, but I did all the block-by-block scoring. The offensive line play was outstanding in this game, absolutely outstanding. And we'll get to that a little later in the show. But it was the shooting yourself in the foot stuff that stopped the offense and not the offensive line. Um, I agreed. Look, you know, I, I, and I think I saw uh, your analysis that the Bozeman one was the one, but even mm-hmm. Bozeman, for the most part, I thought played well after the obvious getting blown up by Olivier Vernon at the beginning right. of the game. I thought even he largely played well. Clearly, the the run game was working again. Um, I look in general. I don't think the story of the game was the offense, but I certainly don't think the story of the game was necessarily the offensive line. Right. We, we uh, I want to talk before we go into any further stuff. We're still on Lamar, so I want to try and have one play like that we like that we'd like to talk about some particular aspect of it. So, do you have something you'd like to you'd like to bring up? Because I've got it's one. Really, for sure. It's really funny that you brought up the 29 yard run because this is the play that jumped out at me because of the circumstances, right? Because it was a seven nothing game at that point because you had just gotten the turnover and you really needed something to get life back into the football team. And I know that some of that stuff. You know, it's trite. It's not. It doesn't really matter. It's still a one possession game either way. But I thought at that point that after the Chris Moore disaster, you needed a play. And it was so simplistically what makes Lamar Jackson special, right, is that when he gets these opportunities in his own read, it was as simple as seeing the the DN cra- uh, crash. That was that simple. This is what makes this guy so difficult. And Whatever, you know, our, our thoughts are about how this whole thing has played out, what what you can do with Lamar Jackson because of his ability in this situation is crazy. And so this was a very simple play. Step up, see the DN come in, move around. There's 
all sorts of real estate in front of you. Yes, should there have been more? Of course, there should have been more. But a 29-yard play in a big spot that got the Ravens back into the feel of the football game at that point after some things had gone wrong. Um, it's just so simplistically why this why this can work and why Lamar does offer something that not everyone offers is because all it took was one read and there's 30 yards uh, easy. I mean, an and, easy 30-yard game. And th- that wasn't the only impact of that either because the 20 the 29 yards they gained on the play trip, but okay, that, I live with it. But Garrett got frozen on that play, or actually he, he, he bit wrong on that play. But the rest of the game, Garrett was effectively neutralized. And that included not only zone read risk to the outside, to his side, which there was some of, but my play, which I'm going to pick, which was the touchdown to Boykin. Mm, mm-hmm. a- extraordinarily weird and completely brazen play design. Now, Glenn, you and I have been around Baltimore sports for a long time. So we know the old zone block left, naked boot right, that the Ravens have run twice a game for the last 15 <laughs> years, regardless of who the quarterback is. In sure, fact, we have a special code for it. We, when we're okay. scoring the offensive line, ZBL, NBR, and, and then we just have to talk about what happened to that edge defender and how they were fooled or not. So it, basically, I, 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 Maureen and I are scoring, this dog, scoring the thing, and I, I called it out, and then I go, wait a minute. He didn't, he didn't try to play action fake to the back. There's no back trailing that line. So effectively, they're on the nine-yard line. The entire line blocked left. Justice Hill, the running back, ran to the right. Lamar Jackson wasn't fooled. He didn't try and make a play action fake or even turn his back or even hand the ball off to Hill, you know, on a on some sort of fake. But he, he just rolled to his right, effectively creating a backyard football play. So you had five, you had all five offensive linemen exiting stage left. <laughs> Lamar Jackson rolls right into into a corner blitz off the slot. So the slot corner is, is coming blitzing on that side. So you have another player not fooled. Garrett was in front of him, and Garrett was, for whatever reason, very tentative in trying to contain Lamar there because I guess they figured it was a run play. So downfield what was happening was actually completely by design with Boykin. The the announcer, Trent Green, I think it was, said, you know, well, Boykin then just realizes he has to find space and he's a secondary tertiary receiver. Bullshit. He was the primary receiver the whole play. And I'll tell you why. There was crossing action at about the five-yard line in the middle of the field where effectively you're getting a double clear out on Boykin. And Boykin did not turn his back to the quarterback at any point prior to the point where he turned the football, found the spot in zone, and the ball's right on top of him. He makes the, makes the catch. It was wow. an absolute thing of beauty. What I liken it to is when you play poker and you're, you're the worst player at the table, the advantage you have is that you know other the other players know how bad you are, and you know that they're going to try and play aggressively, and you can at least try and aggressively call them in some situations. This was a little bit like that, as as it, they they Ravens really set that play up, intending for the Browns to to react to it the way they did, and it worked like magic. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, it, it, it's. Look again. This is the stuff. This is the stuff with Lamar that 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 again. You admit that you just can't get. There is such a danger to it, um, you know. And and frankly, this season there haven't been as many negatives, obviously, as there were a year ago. But whatever negatives there are, you're trading off because you just know that this doesn't work with at this point 92 percent of other quarterbacks in football. Like I mean, it's just you can do something that somebody else can't do. That's a fascinating. I, I I was with Trent Green when I saw it unfold. Like that was the way that I thought the play had gone. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, just 
He's an unreal player, and and even when he's not carrying the ball, he's the most important player on the offense. So right. uh, he definitely is setting up, but I think you alluded to that earlier. Let's jump on to some other things. Ample time and space is something we usually like to talk about on the offensive show. So that's how often the quarterback is given a three-second pocket or the prospect of it, because he often can get rid of the pocket quicker. I thought you meant this is what uh, women gave to me in college. And I appreciate it. It was really, for, just really nice of them to give me as much space as they did. <laughs> And uh, and time for reflection and listening to Dashboard Confessional. It was very nice. I think it was a it was a good education. I appreciate there that. There you go. Good. Well done. Anyway. Um, uh, anyway, the line gave Jackson ample time space on 39% of his dropbacks. 15 out of 38 needs a three second pocket and a cone to step into his throw. Uh, that's not a tremendous amount, although the amount seems to be dropping year over year in the NFL as as defenses ratchet up pressure or try and get pressure in new ways. What was really outstanding. Um, the offensive line was near perfect in terms of their run blocking. Only one penetration allowed. That's a, uh, a time when a offensive lineman allows a defender to get in the backfield to take a runner down for loss. Only happened one time by Yonda. And okay. five other missed blocks on run plays. And they ran the ball 30-some times, and there's five linemen. So you're talking about you know all but six of 165 duties or whatever it is that were, that were performed well. So good day for the offensive line in that, in that way. To, to add to this a little bit, the ample time and space should have created a 218-yard expectation for Jackson, and that's using Flacco's averages from 2009 to 17, but he actually threw for 222 net. That plus four I don't think of as being very good. I think we need to establish a new standard for Jackson since it seems like he's better, and it also seems like you know it's fair to say that, that Flacco's yards per throw averages were about his weakest point as a quarterback that's interesting um you know it's i I, i'd like to know what those numbers were factoring in you know the downfield penalties right like factoring in uh, the yards they gained that way but no i mean it's it's an interesting argument to make that the expectation is greater and i think the other thing too and this is always the difficult part i've been i've been doing my damnedest can to not be the like I, I i have fun with it i make flacco jokes i do that sort of stuff but i don't really want it to be the flacco versus jackson thing because i think this also factors into the other thing which is what what were they being asked to do in certain situations and i do think the ravens are are giving more leash perhaps in some spots whereas they would openly discuss that they were not necessarily asking for some chances to be taken because they wanted their defense to be back out on the field. It, it, it's a weird spot to be in, right, when I compare those two guys. So it's fascinating. And I don't, look, again, as far as threat and, and capability, sure, I'm, I'm with you on the idea that, that you're asking for more for Jackson in those situations. Right. And, and obviously, yes, both very different. And when, when Joe did have weapons, he had Torrey Smith, particularly early in his career, a big part of what they got out of that, out of that relationship was long pass interference penalties. In right. 2012, the Ravens had the three longest pass interference penalties in the entire league, 50, 50, and 60 yards. And all three of those were Flacco to Torrey Smith attempts. Not, not surprising at all. Um, and I'm not, look, I'm not trying to rewrite history or anything along those lines, but I, I, it was comical to me that the way that became a running joke in town, yes. as if it wasn't as if it wasn't a good thing, like uh-huh. as if it wasn't something that actually was beneficial that helped the team win, right? Like uh, there's Flacco and Torrey Smith just getting another pass interference. Like, do do you think that they're like taking those yards away? Like, do you think that they go down as negative yards? That's a really good thing. I get it. It doesn't help fantasy football and it doesn't help pad stats, but um i you know I, th- when i look at all these numbers i'm always fascinated by that aspect of this which is the one that 
um, the Ravens were, were very good at taking advantage of, and then they just decided they didn't need to have um, that type of player on the field anymore for some insane reason, despite the fact that the one attribute their quarterback did have was a massive arm. Like, that right. was just a... You know, I, I, we can we can have that conversation for the rest of eternity. We don't need to have it again. But and by, by the way, way, I probably will in a dark room somewhere. Speaking of a massive arm, Odell Beckham's pass, and I don't know if you really <laughs> looked at it, was from the 38-yard line, went to the opposing two. Holy crap. By my calculation, it traveled further than the Maya High Miracle did. Mile High Miracle traveled 57 yards along that hypotenuse, giving him all the benefit of it was to the sideline. You get the angle, that's the longer distance, all of that. I'm just assuming Beckham's was straight ahead, which which was almost exactly straight ahead. And it was 60 yards in the air. (laughs) It was, you know, he probably could be an NFL. Well, he probably could be a quarterback at some level. Let's put it that way. Sure, sure. No, that's amazing. Um you know, and that and that's like, look. That probably speaks to some of the conversation that has existed, that's surrounded. This is obviously the subtext of the Lamar Jackson situation, which is how many great athletes in years have been told you need to play a different position because we're not going to give you a chance as a quarterback. And I understand why that subtext exists, and it's very real. Um, and it would be interesting, like a decade later, if Odell Beckham comes along, if he wouldn't be an NFL quarter or a, a professional quarterback, someone trying to become an NFL quarterback instead of being a wide receiver. I mean, that's incredible. That's a, that's an absolutely incredible. I, I mean, I knew it was a heck of a ball. I don't think I realized exactly how, how deep that ball was. And it, it looked gorgeous, right? Yeah. Like it looked like coming out of his arm. You're like, Holy hell, that is not fluttering. That is just a pretty, pretty looking ball, um, which make any, and almost effortless, right? Like almost an effortless, heave of that football um that dude is really good at uh, just about everything but uh, facing marlon humphrey <laughs> and, and right. actually jimmy smith wrote it's worth too yeah yeah it's true yeah. We're, we're gonna go through the offensive line scoring now I'll, I'll fill people in on that the offensive line scoring article is up hope you take a look at it it's got some more specifics in it than that but Scoring is very good this week, and this happened once before in a game where the the Ravens allowed five sacks to the Browns, and yet the scoring was quite good in that game as well. This game, Ronnie Stanley and A allowed one pressure, one quarterback hit, made 63 of 66 blocks, only had one missed the entire game, uh, scored a 94. It is his third consecutive A this season after a D-plus in the opener with two holding penalties. The point I make about Ronnie Stanley is that I really believe not only is – the Ravens really need to give him the big next big contract. I want to get yeah. your 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 number on this. What is your percentage chance right now, including the chance of not resigning him, I suppose, of him making the Ravens Ring of Honor someday? Wow, wow. Um, you know, I he, the recognition is going to start coming. So, like the first thing somebody would say, well, he hasn't made a Pro Bowl, right? Well, like you know, this is the weird thing. Marshall Yonda didn't make a Pro Bowl until after he got his contract the first time. And then everybody started realizing, oh, crap, this guy's really good. Um, we know his name. We'll start you know, mentioning him. Um, I, I think that right now you'd, you'd sort of factor it into a, a 20 to, 25 to 30% chance at the moment because I think you do have to consider the possibility that what if he were to leave? If he sticks around, if you could give me that guarantee that he's going to get another contract and he'll be around, um, it's, it's approaching 50-50. Okay, so you're saying you're basically saying there's a 50% chance he'll leave because it's 25 and 50 if he stays. But I want I, I want I won't pin you down on that. What I am going to say is I think the chance is more like 
65 to 80 percent right now. Uh, I think he's there's almost no way if he signs a second contract here, it would really take a major career ending injury for him not to make the ring of honor. He's been too good now for too long and he hasn't had a bad year yet. And they've all been pretty damn good years. Right. And I don't think he ever has to make a pro bowl to make the ring of honor. I don't so, think playing left tackle. Yeah, so that's a tri- that's a tricky one, right? Because like mm-hmm. clearly Joe Flacco is going to make the Ring of Honor and never mm-hmm. made a Pro Bowl, right? So like he's going to break, you know, you can't even bring up Ernest Biner because it, it doesn't count. <laughs> um, so Joe Flacco will be the first that breaks this standard that never actually existed, but kind of sort of existed, right? Like that's the thing that they would always say, despite the fact that if you ask them, they would then, you know, if you ask them publicly, they would say it doesn't exist. But then you'd ask them private, and they'd be like, well, of course that exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a really thing that's existed with the ring of honor um so yeah my my first significant chunk is do they bring him back and the only reason that's that's questionable to me is because he's playing really well and getting close and once somebody starts getting close and is playing really well you always wonder just how tempted they are to say we'd rather negotiate with everybody than simply negotiate with you Um, i i buy that logic glenn but here's the problem all the market frictions under the current CBA anyway, work in the Ravens' favor because oh, they, have the, no they have the franchise tag to use on him in addition to the fifth-year tag. And so each at each of those points, there's going to be an incentive for both sides to come to an agreement on a long-term deal. So it only really comes down to, does he really not want to stay here maybe for some reason? There could be a reason, I suppose, but got a nice young offense around him. I, I It would be a shame if he felt the need to leave that. I and, disagree with that. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Again, I, I'll come back to I, I have to leave myself some wiggle room only because I think the Ravens are trying to tighten up a little bit the Ring of Honor. Um, and it's, again, something that you can't get them to say publicly. But I think privately, they don't want the standard for the Ring of Honor to be Michael McCrary and Peter Boulware. They want the standard for the Ring of Honor to be something significantly more than that. Now... You know, Elodie Nott is not going to be a Hall of Famer, right? And he's going to get into the Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. It's not as if the standard is going to be simply Hall of Fame players that will get into the Ring of Honor. But privately, they are trying to tighten the standard a little bit for the Ring of Honor. They don't necessarily just want it to be something that they do every year. It's nice to be able to do it, but they don't want it to just be something they do every year for the sake of doing it. That's why they didn't induct anyone for the last couple of years. They do want to tighten up the standards for who reaches the Ring of Honor. So it's not just, hey, we like you and you're a good dude who made a Pro Bowl. So we're going to put you in here. That's the the one sort of caveat that I'll give the while I, I wouldn't be quite as bullish in my numbers when it comes to Ronnie Stanley. All right. Well, fair enough. I, I do think with the way the Pro Bowl is avoided at this point in time, he'll make all the Pro Bowls that would qualify. Oh, that's for a fair point, too. That's, yeah. that's a so, fair point. So, so, I mean, you know, you have, you have, t- you have two teams Go, well, anyway, you know, you know all the all the reasons. Yeah. I, the, the two players who are kind of on the outside looking at the Ring of Honor right now to me are Kelly Gregg, who a lot of Baltimoreans just love because he was Kelly Gregg. And yeah. even with Haloti Nada as a direct comparison, they still say we love Kelly Gregg. Yep. So I, I I do think he's a he's a guy on the outside. The other guy who wasn't here for maybe long enough to get it, but was one hell of a football player is Matt Burke. And huh. You know, four four years of absolute top shelf performance. It would it's hard for me to not say that he belongs in. I mean, it's four fantastic years for the Ravens. Uh, I would put him in, frankly. And you know, McCrary wasn't here for all that long. McCrary was here for what six years, I guess, ninety seven to 
and the, and that's the tricky part, right? Because I think this is the the Mason conversation as well that a lot of people want to have. Difference being, Mason didn't win a championship. Matt Burke did, and I think that is a significant separator when it comes to looking at players like this. Um, but somebody would probably then shift that over to Bolden, right? Like, does then does Bolden deserve that conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it, it's tough. I, I I would say my guess is neither one of those guys will ever get in. Um, I, I really do genuinely believe they are trying to make it more difficult to get into the ring of honor. Um, it, it's almost feels like they heard the stuff early on and said, okay, well now we're going to make it really tough. We're going to make it super tough for a player to get into the ring of honor because of that. And they're going to have to be almost extraordinary circumstances. You know, if you're not a hall of fame caliber player in order for you to get in, but I, I, you know, my argument, Ken, is always like, what the hell does it hurt, right? Like, who, mm-hmm. who is it hurting for you to put more guys in? Um, this is not, I, I'm not suggesting it becomes the Orioles Hall of Fame where, like, you know, if yes, you're that's here ridiculous. For, six, for six <laughs> weeks, win. But I'm also not offended by that because that's a plaque by a bathroom, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. <laughs> um, I, think, I think my name might be on there by accident at some point because they were just like, oh, hell, we got nobody else this year. Um, I, I'm, I'm for more inclusion when it comes to the ring of honor, not, you know, absurdly, but I'm for more inclusion. I, I like the idea of those names being there that, you know, I got two boys one day, I'm going to take them to a game. And if they ask me about Matt Burke, I'd love to tell them, dude, that guy was a heck of a football player and a badly needed piece in the Ravens winning a second Super Bowl title. I would have no problem sharing that conversation. I would feel the same way about Derek Mason. I'd feel the same way about Anquan Bolden. Um, I know that, that Chris McAllister had his demons, but to an extent, I would feel the same way about Chris McAllister because of the quality of a football player that he was um, in helping a team win a championship at a very young point in his career. Um, I, I, I am for more inclusion when it comes to these things. I just know at the moment the Ravens are inclined to toughen the standards by which you get into the ring of honor and also significantly factor in what you're willing to do with the organization post-playing career. So it's one thing, Yeah, obviously people probably saw this weekend, Ed Reed and Ray, Lew- and Ray Lewis weren't there for all of their festivities, right? Mm-hmm. They'll live with that because that's Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, right? Like you can't, you can't leave those guys out. But if you're not Ed Reed or Ray Lewis, they kind of need to know that you're going to be there for everything they're looking to do. That is a factor that, again, they, they won't say publicly because they can't say that publicly. They need people to think this is just a representation of all their greatest players. But these other things are very real for them. Hey, we've got a big-time sponsor tied to this. Are you going to show up? Are you going to glad hand the night before? We're going to pay you to do it, but you, we need to know that you're going to be available and you're going to prioritize these things in your post-playing career. That had been one of the issues at a time, obviously, with Brian Billick. It was clearly an issue with Chris McAllister. I think that ship has just sailed now at this point, and it's just not going to happen. Um, they struggled with some of those things because, specifically, most guys don't live here um, after their playing career. So I think that outside of the greatest of the greats, it's just it's a little bit of a tougher road moving forward for the Ring of Honor than it had been in the past. Well, it's, it's a two-tiered system with the football. The Ring of Honor is not the panacea. The Ring of Honor could be halfway between the Oriole Hall of Fame and what we expected the Ring of Honor to be. Baseball has retired numbers. Football does not really. Right. Okay. Right. So they can't afford to retire any of the numbers of the rosters being the size they are. What football sure. does have and what the Ravens have is statues. And I, I expect Ed Reed will get a statue someday. Ray Lewis has one. Johnny Unitas has one for some, some reason. 
Okay, I mean we're Baltimore fans. Pretty good. I mean, just I, I love Johnny U, but 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 you know, having a statue outside the Ravens stadium. I get it, just, right? He didn't play for them. I understand. I, I, understand. I want a, the Ravens to build their own damn history. That's what I want, or I want them the Colts to give it back to us in terms of of the way the the Browns did. You know, Baltimore did for the Browns. So, well, anyway. I look, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm 1000 percent, you know, I, I would die on that hill with you. In fact, I would I would go die twice if I had the option to do it. Um, I, I'm on board. I think it's almost grotesque um, that, that it was really weird. I, I read a column that the Colts did a thing for the NFL 100 celebration where they like ranked all the greatest players in Colts history. And I said, who is sitting in Indianapolis? that's dying to know how Edger and James compares to Lenny Moore. Like, why <laughs> is anyone in Indianapolis give a rat's ass about yeah. Lenny Moore? And it's not because we don't – Lenny Moore is, a, you know, gr- one of the greatest players of all time. And also, by the way, one of the greatest Baltimoreans we've ever had. He's one of the finest people the city has ever produced. Didn't really produce him, but he came through anyway. Um, I, I just don't know why anyone – like, could you imagine as an Orioles fan, anytime I go to, like, a, a history page on the Orioles' website – to like see stats and I have to weed through former St. Louis Browns players. I want to throw my computer against a wall <laughs> because I do not give a flying F about how anyone who played for the Baltimore Orioles compares to the St. Louis Browns. Why would I ever care? They are a different existence. They are not the Baltimore Orioles. So it's bizarre to me that the Colts continue to try to force the issue as, as if that like this was the same thing. And I just don't know who it's serving. I can't think there's a single human being that lives in Indianapolis that gives a crap about the differences between Reggie Wayne and Raymond Berry. Like, right. who, uh, who I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, but, but I'm, I'm going to say the Browns thing is at least a little different because the Browns, uh, the St. Louis Browns are a team with a, a complete orphan existence now well it's fair whatever history there has has to go somewhere so you either push it off into some corner of baseballreference.com where you can only look up the st louis browns which i think is what you're really recommending i don't know why that's the end of the world right like no it's it's not it's okay um but but it also it, it leaves them out of any kind of conversation any kind of thought process that people go through when they're ranking you know great players by position or this or that you know it's just i i, I maybe you know you expect same arbitrations to be more into it and be willing to, to to scrap through all the dead franchises as well but the but the browns then become a non-entity in looking back and they had some great players and uh you know anyway it is what it is i, I mean i don't I don't know if it's the type of thing where like you could talk to the cardinals and they'd be willing to adopt the the, the history as well my guess is no um but i, I I just don't it, that's collateral damage that I'd be willing to accept just because I have no interest. I I Baltimorean and I I don't think this is because this is 2019. I don't know that anyone in Baltimore in 1969 gave a crap about how Frank Robinson compared to George Kell. I just yeah. don't think that that was something that they were thinking about on and at any point in any time. Ever. I just think that, that the city is the franchise, is the franchise. Maybe the Raiders are like the one example where that's different because oddly that brand seems to have existed and thrived beyond the, 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 locate, the location of the franchise. But outside of that, I don't think that this has translated uh, from one city to another ever that anyone has cared about that comparison in the next city that the franchise went to. All right. Well, fair enough. We've gone enough of a tangent now. I need to draw us back into the offensive line. We should do that.
that should be we could do that okay so real quickly bozeman at left guard uh started off with a horrible sack where he got his feet too close together and got pushed over by one hand by vernon but otherwise made 60 out of 66 blocks bozeman having a big problem missing blocks in the first few games uh he, he missed only two that were losses at the line of scrimmage two others that were in level two where he didn't didn't make a block otherwise made seven blocks in level two made all five of his pulls had two nice highlights He's now 31 of 36 pulling this year, which is exceptionally wow. good. And wow. and that's that's really it's turned the turned this game around, got a B minus in it, and uh, was a big part of the run run success. I, okay, so I have to tell you, there's nothing more awkward. Um, and look, Bradley Bozeman is doing it with me this year. I've I've done it with far more prominent players, but we have like a weekly hit with a player that you have to do, and and obviously you have to bring certain things up when that player comes on the show. Um, you're not going to ignore it or pretend like it is, but, but you typically try to have a friendly rapport with someone that, you know, you have to talk to every week. And so Bradley Bozeman, who's by doing it for free this season, just because he's a great guy and, um, we've developed a bit of a relationship and he really wants the exposure and that's awesome. And and they're doing some wonderful charity things that we're promoting for them. So, um, I'm happy to do it. Um, but, but you have that awkward moment, right? Where you're like, okay, so we're gonna have to talk about the thing that occurred, right? Like, you know, The moment that you're sitting there watching the game, like you're, I'm, I'm legitimately rooting for it to be anybody but Bozeman, right? Like anybody <laughs> but Bozeman in that moment. And they're like, and I see the video, I'm like, oh no, oh <laughs> no. And so, you know, it's got to come up. And the, the, thankfully, you know, again, Bozeman's a, a good enough dude that he knows too. And, and, and again, thankfully he otherwise had a good game. So he said, frankly, I'm just glad I got out of the way early. Um, and, and it was all right from there because, uh, you know, yeah, it was not a great play, but otherwise he, he really did play well. And I, I think he's been a, a really pleasant surprise, uh, at this point. I think it's really not something that we could have expected that he was going to be able to, uh, applicate himself, you know, this quickly, this well, um, after sort of being thrust into this role. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's played a little bit better than I would have expected. Though he, he did have 230 snaps all at left guard last year, but so far I've scored him as a C, a B, an F, and a B minus in the four games. Uh, I think you know I'm I'm not I don't overweight grades by the way in one direction or the other. So if if a guy like Bozeman who's in his second year is averaging a C, that's terrific. I'm very happy. Yeah, with I that. agree. And, I agree. And I completely agree with that. He's cheap and he has a lot of growth from here too. So. I, I, and, and by the way, when we when we have somebody like that on, so we had Matt Skura last year, the thing that I like to focus on is the inside football these linemen have. There are so many things they can tell you about offensive line play oh, that crazy, are cool right? and new. Right, right. You don't get access to. I just I love hearing that stuff. Probably it's great for your show. So like my I, I because of who I like I I work for Pressbox. I have to get like quotes. I have to get content that way. Like I have to ask about all the other crap. Like I've got to get him to say something about Marlon Humphrey, which, like, Lord knows, why would anybody really want to comment on somebody strangling, like, their teammate strangling another player? Yeah. But I've got to do that. That's the job that I do, and that's that's what I have to bring up. Um, but you're right. Like, those guys are, are fountains, man. It's like talking to a catcher in baseball mm-hmm. about all the, the nerdy type of stuff that they understand that the average human being does not understand about how the game works. It's it's really crazy. Uh, very cool stuff. So, okay, so Matt Skura is, is frequently the butt of, well, every rifle butt, every joke butt, every everything in this in this town. But yeah. he's he's playing pretty well. He, he got a C in this game. Uh, it, it did allow two pressures, one quarterback hit. He got badly run over on one play as well, similar to Bozeman. Got his feet too close together, got rolled over. Uh, he might have been tripped on that play. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a C effort, and frankly, he's got about a CC plus average so far for the year. I've made the comment that he moved up from about a C minus last year to almost a C plus this year. If he takes a similar step next year, I think he'll be a very highly sought after 
free agent center. Obviously, okay. the Ravens are going to do what they need to to retain him uh, in in next year when he's a when he's an RFA. So they'll they'll give him a tender. But right. centers are not easy to find, and Skura is incredibly durable. He played the most snaps in the entire NFL last year, and he's played every snap this year. Uh, you know, fine player, good mobility, uh, great footwork, doesn't disrupt pulls from left to right or right to left. Uh, if uh, you only need to go back to some centers in the Ravens' past, Mike sure. Quinn comes to mind sure. to find players who really had trouble with their footwork. And uh, you know, I, I still think he's a good player. A lot of other people do not agree with me. Yeah, I mean, the, people are tough on him for sure. I don't think that he's been egregiously bad. I, I certainly don't go to the extent that you do in in breaking that down. I don't think that he's been awful. Again, I think running the ball, he's done a pretty good job. Um, I think there have been holes there. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not down on him. I do think it's an awkward spot, though, right, where, you know, as you say, he could become in demand. I don't know what that price tag ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ravens have not particularly been inclined to pay big money for centers. Now, that's bitten them in the ass, clearly, a few times. Um, the fact that they haven't, they they let Jason Brown walk away, and he was still pretty good uh, for a little while after he arrived in St. Louis. Um, they, they paid Matt Burke a reasonable amount of money, but it wasn't an overwhelming amount of money at that no. point they paid for Matt Burke. Um, since then, they they have tried to avoid paying real money for a center. It will be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that I would bet on them retaining him long term. I do. I, it's a dangerous game, but I think the Ravens have been playing more of the game of we believe that we can find this guy, and so we don't need to, to invest resources. It will be interesting to see if that's something that changes. With okay, I'm going to toss out a proposal for you here. So James Hurst got a four-year, seventeen million dollar deal last year. Right. Let's inflate that deal relative to total cap. Okay. okay. So total cap. So okay. you're going to inflate it by maybe 15% or something when, when it comes due. Would you give that same deal to Matt Skura prior to his fourth season? So have Ooh. it cover years four through seven. I mean, I I probably – I would. For the, I mean, I would. I would. I would like to have a I, – I, one fewer question mark. Um, Matt's incredibly smart. He, you know, he's, he's very good at a lot of things. Um, is he a, is he a road grader? No, but I mean, I don't think that's an unreasonable amount of money to pay to feel pretty confident about an important position on the football field. Um, you know, how, how they factor in their needs defensively, which appear to be many, um, moving forward. I, I don't know, but yeah, that doesn't seem like an unreasonable amount of money to pay for a guy that's playing pretty well at a, at a position that I do think is pretty important. Right. So you, you probably, it probably ends up being four years, 20 million is what it ends yeah. up being. And since you could have had him for three million the first year, maybe you really think of it as three years, 17 million after that. Okay. So you're paying yeah, about sure. five and a half, six million for this. It does seem reasonable to me. And it, it seems like maybe a reasonable time to pull the trigger on that. And like you say, if you wait for the information to come out, whether it's whether you want to wait a week to bet on the Ravens right. or the Browns or whether you want to wait a year to bet on Metzger or not, you paid for, for that wait. Right. And everybody's getting the same information that you are. You know, yes. like that's 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 the spot that you're in. And I, I, that's that's the tricky part. We always try to I feel like the, the Baltimore Ravens of an organization since 2013, like when everybody how do you feel about the Ravens? I think the answer is perpetually been ask me next week. Right. Um, <laughs> And I, and I think that's the the problem that you're dealing with is that constantly you always feel like okay I, I I'll get back to you after I, I get a little bit more information and clearly I think you're right I think at some point you have to step up look that's what they did with Tavon Young right like that was the story of Tavon Young is saying we're going to step up and we're going to try to get this done beforehand I would I would be more inclined to probably do that with Matt Skura. 
Okay, I, I'm going to tell you that's basic human nature, and and I'm always a, I'm an a live in the moment prognosticator, so I want to I want to get my bet down at the time it's it's available to me, and not a, not a week <laughs> too late anyway. Right. Okay, so let's go on. Marshall Yanda here. Uh, he's got his fourth consecutive A. Every single game he's had is graded between 0.89 and 0.92, which on an adjusted basis pulls him into the A range at guard. He is incredibly consistent game after game. In fact, the paragraphs I write about him are so short because I usually focus on what mistakes did they make, and there are usually not very many. And again, this happened with Yanda this week. He did allow penetration, did allow one pressure. So I actually had an extra sentence or so to write about him, but uh, <laughs> but. Uh, Another great game. He's the he's the least interesting human being that's ever been <laughs> like a superstar. And I, and I say that you know with affection, right? Like I'm I'm so grateful for that. And he's he's you know I, I say least interesting. He's just there's there's never there's never anything compelling to say about Marshall Yonda because the answer is exactly what you just said. Yep, there's Marshall Yonda. Moving on. Um, okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing that I hope will get Marshall on the show someday. Marshall. There's a young lady working in the Transamerica Cafeteria in Cedar Rapids who remembers you as a cheerleader way back in the day, possibly at your high school, maybe at another. But okay. her name is Amber, and I probably can put you in contact with her if you want to talk to her again. <laughs> anyway, I know you're married, Marshall. That's probably not a good idea. But if you'd like to come on the show, we'd love to have you anyway. Whenever I would ask Marshall to do a hit with me, like he would legitimately like he was he wouldn't be he'd just be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> he would legitimately say back. And we always like again. Marshall and I have had a great relationship, and you know, it's easy to have a great relationship with Marshall Yonda because when have you ever had to be critical of him? Like he's never had an issue with anything you've said about him because you never had to say a negative word about him the entire time that he's been here. Um, I would always ask him, and he would just be like, "Why? What? What would we talk about?" <laughs> like, well, I don't know. You're a pretty good football player. I feel like we could come up with something that we could discuss during the course of the conversation. Um, he's done far less, unfortunately, in recent years. Like even even I've had trouble to get him to to commit to do anything he just you know he's he is he's really uninteresting he's just a dude that plays really good football um he's the exact same guy he's always been wants to spend time with his kids i i i respect the the hell out of marshall yonda we will never understand i you know I, it, it's one that if we think we took terrell suggs for granted i think that we will for eternally take marshall yonda for granted uh, that's that's for certain true he's the I mean he's the best player on the team probably at any position right now uh, if with with regard to Yanda, you know he's had four straight games at, of top tier performance. There's no indication of injury. There's no indication of him, and, and I'm sure he deals with the same nagging crap that everybody does. But right. is there any reason to believe that he would call it quits still at the end of a year, going out on top, possibly with an early playoff exit or no playoff team at all? I don't think so. I, I look. I've tried sort of poking around on that because it's something that oddly comes up frequently, which is really weird to me because I'm with you. I don't see a reason to to think that he's on a decline. I don't see a reason to think, you know, if the answer is simply that you think he could be a guy that could wake up one day and just decide he doesn't want to do it anymore. Like, I guess. But I also think he's got a little bit of Brett Favre in him. I think there's a part of him that kind of wouldn't mind just dying on the football field. Like, I, I, I think that's sort of who he is. And this is just what he does. So short of something that's so persistent that he just decides, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. It's too persistent. It's too nagging. I can't, I can't put myself through this hell any longer. I, I see no reason. The, the, all the people that I've talked to that are around him, nobody sees any reason to think that's the case. I, I don't, I don't really even think he's approaching like this slow down portion of it. I still think that genuinely he's a guy in his prime. 
um, that loves playing the game of football and has has made it a, a really good, you know, sort of he's carved out his spot um, where he's not, you know, super involved with anything the way he likes it. He can just sort of come here, be himself, be that guy, um, go back home in the offseason. I think he's just really comfortable with all of that and is in no rush to change that at this point. All right. All right. That's good. That's really good to hear. I mean, he made it so clear that this was a one year deal, even though it was a two year contract right. when he signed it. That's what really frightened me about the thing. And, and you know, at some point uh, and maybe it'll be the next major injury that happens. You know, if he has to have shoulder surgery again, he just says, OK, it's time yeah, for me to and, hang it up. I mean, that's 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 the part. Right. Like, that's the part that I could absolutely see it being about is that there's just something that comes up um, that he just decides. All right. No, not worth it. But I don't know. I, I have not. You you can't pin him down on this. He's impossible to be pinned down on this topic. Like even when you try to dance around it, he'll just tell you he's not he's not even thinking about it. It's not something he's given any consideration to. Um, but you know, is is there a possibility that it's something that he and his family have talked about and that he's just sort of avoided talking to literally anyone about it since then? Um, I, I have not even look. I, I I'll give you this right. Like when when Ray Lewis retired, it was not. There was a reason why six people had hypothesized about it publicly earlier on in the season. Mm-hmm. It's because it was openly being discussed among people around him. There is no open conversation right now with Marshall Yonda and the end of his career. That doesn't mean he's a different dude, obviously, than Ray Lewis. That doesn't mean it's not something that he hasn't thought about, that he's just literally told no one. Um, but there is no open conversation with Marshall Yonda um, about the end of his career. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, let's move on. We I'm going to feel really Orlando. stupid when tomorrow he announces that this is his last season. I'm going to feel really <laughs> about this whole thing when that's the case. All right. Orlando Brown uh, had his second best game as a Raven uh, right after the Miami game. Some people would say it's on very even close par. Allowed one pressure, one third of the sack for zero yards, uh, it, where he basically allowed a pressure on the play. And Lamar Jackson went up the line of scrimmage. Also got some pressure from Edwards. Lamar could have had a short gain and wiped the whole thing out. But anyway, uh, another great game for Orlando Brown. And, and good to see, after two pretty lousy games from Brown, a D and a C- minus on the scale I, I, I have, he had an A in weeks one and four. And it's really nice to see him come back against a top-quality set of edge rushers and put That's up this weird. kind of a game. That's really weird. Um a guy that I, I I I like a lot of what I see. I probably you know I don't I wouldn't have if I had guessed what the grades were. I probably wouldn't have guessed they were quite that drastic. But I probably would have guessed up and down. You know I probably would have guessed that it was one game on one game off. Um, yeah, I like Orlando Brown. I, I think he's coming in coming onto his into his own. I think he's gotten a little meaner to be honest with you. I, I think he's gotten a little. I honestly think that Ronnie Stanley's gotten meaner um, as well this season. I think that he's looked a little tougher, and I think that Orlando Brown's looked a little tougher too. Right. I, what I'm, I'm loving all kinds of things out of Stanley, but it's, it's far too long for the scope of what we have right now. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll hit that up on another show. Uh, Skill position players, why don't we just each pick one? Because I think we hit on them a lot in some of the missed opportunities. Pick a guy you want to talk about among the skill position players that we didn't really get to what you wanted to on. Um, I'd love to talk about Hayden Hurst uh, because he's on my show tomorrow and because he's a guy that I think is playing well, but it's not necessarily translating into the numbers that would make it look like he is coming into his own uh, or something along those lines. But I, in the naked eye, 
I think he's doing his job. I think that he's been in position. I, I don't think that there has been major issues with Hayden Hurst. So I'll be a little bit disappointed if you follow this up by saying, you're really stupid. You have no idea what you're talking about. He, he, he obviously put together some some good play. Unfortunately, he's kind of in garbage time in, right. in this game. And uh, and otherwise, uh, I don't think that he's been a uh, a bad player this year. I don't think he's been exceptional, but I, I would agree. I think that he's a, uh, a you know a player that is probably underutilized on the Ravens just because of who he is. So he's done a pretty good job, I think, in blocking. Uh, in particular, in run blocking, I think he's he's been fine. I thought he did a good job in the Miami game, particularly on that. But uh, it's it's he's not getting f- full utilization, which is why we still hear his name coming up in trade rumors. Right, right. And I, look, I get it. Like Nick Boyle, they they sort of have two guys to handle the most significant roles that they need from their tight ends, right? Like Mark Andrews mm-hmm. is the explosive player and. Nick Boyle is the dominant blocker, right? Like, I, I sort of get they have those two things. So what exactly is Hayden Hurst's role? But I think he's shown himself to be someone who can be effective in the goal line situation. I think that um, his size is something they can still take advantage of. I, 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 I don't know that there's a way to define it. I know he's not, like, been a world beater. I just don't think he's playing poorly. I think he's a guy that has, for the most part, done his job and there's reason to still believe that there is more coming for a guy like Hayden Hurst. I, I think that's fair. The, the point that I always make with Hurst is that at now 26 and change, and he's about a month past his 26th birthday, it needs to be now. Yeah. The, the, the future is now. The future right. is not the future. It's, there's not a whole bunch of growth. And you know this, Glenn, when you're talking about a baseball player who's age 26 and a half or 27, you can't be a double A at that point. In fact, yep. you can't be yep. a triple A. Right. And and whatever you're going to produce, you're, you're producing pretty much at your ultimate highest level at the major leagues. And that's obviously the really frustrating part about the injury last year is that mm-hmm. you knew that there was an inherent amount of risk in, in where they took him because of what you're talking about, because you don't get as much time in order to figure this out. And so the injury really killed that. So, you know, the, the fair way of saying it is, well, he's still, you know, kind of technically game wise in his rookie year. The problem is. You, you you can't be his age and be a rookie like it just doesn't work that way. Um, there's you can't assume that there are, you know, six great years ahead of you at this point at an elevated age. So I, I get what you're saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to oversell Hayden Hurst. I want to make that very clear. I thought he was a puzzling pick when yes. it was made. Um, I'm not I am not trying to oversell what I think he is. I just sort of get the sense of. He's a guy who's mostly doing his job that I think could in in this thing we're trying to figure out, which is where is the offense going to come from or where is the passing offense going to come from aside from uh, Brown and Andrews, right? Like Brown and Andrews are working, but we all, you know, dumb, stupidly say, hey, they need to spread the brown, the ball around a little bit more. Well, where can that come from? Because I don't know that it's ever going to be very comfortable between Lamar Jackson and Willie Sneed, for example. It just seems as though... That's never going to be a, 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 a connection that you can count on. But I think that you can do more things with this tight end group, and I do think that there might be the possibility of getting more in that department that Hayden Hurst can be part of that. So. Right. And they, one of the things they could do is put more tight ends on the field. It is driving other defensive coordinators absolutely insane in terms of matchups, in yep. terms of who's going to spread. And, who's gonna, and you have two guys who can spread. You have two guys who can block. It's It's just it's a really nice group of three and Hayden is the movable piece that can either be a spread tight end or a blocker. And I really like that about him. I just want to see 
you know, I, I, I want to see him produce and I want to see him basically produce right now, as unfair yep. as that is. I no, I completely understand what you're saying, and I don't I I don't disagree. I, I look I'm I am inclined to root for Hayden Hurst more than a lot of people because I think his story is unbelievably compelling. Um, I'm inclined to root for him because I appreciate the fact that he is so openly willing to talk about his story. And I, I think that's necessary in the mental health you know, sphere for guys to be willing to talk about this type of thing. And a lot of baseball players in particular do not want to talk about what they go through in these situations. So I'm, I am openly, I'm admittedly, also, by the way, I found out his favorite movie is Super Trooper. So he's, you know, like just my favorite person ever. Um, so I'm inclined to root for Hayden Hurst. I just am. I'm inclined to root for him. But I'm also, when I'm inclined to root for guys, I'm reasonable about what I'm looking at. I'm not trying to oversell what Hayden Hurst is. I just think that reasonably in looking at him, what you're talking about, absolutely. I think there could be more to that. And I do think they should be doing more with multiple tight ends on the field. All right. Well, through an through an hour and five minutes or an hour and 10 minutes of the show already, what I've determined is you and I have a very similar outlook and an ability to over discuss individual elements of sports. And if we had all night to drink, I'm sure we could do this. We we do not have commercials and not have time constraints, which is a really great thing about not being on the radio directly. But we do have listeners. And Josh reminds me of that from time to time. So let's get to their mailbag questions and try and give them the, the do they deserve here. All right, we can uh, get to the mailbag a little bit. You know, I was watching the Nats game, not a single Expo jersey there, so I don't think <laughs> they care about where their team came from it's, either. I mean, like, why would they ever? Why would exactly. they ever give a rad's ass? By the way, that was compelling as hell. I just looked up to see what happened. That was really compelling. Hey, remember, Ken's pausing it, so we can't talk yeah, about it. You can't talk. Oh, oh okay. So well, I didn't, I didn't give anything picture. away. I didn't give anything away. Right. Be quiet. Hey, great game. All it right, was. Uh, it was like a good game. All right, first question up, it comes from Carolyn, who's saying, as expected, the narrative after this game is that the Browns are great and Lamar isn't, and we told you so. So the Browns move up in the rankings, the Ravens drop in the rankings. So is this a story of the Browns' defense being good and the Ravens' defense being bad, or what's the true true story out of this game? I'll start on that one, I guess. I I think the Ravens' defense played miserably in this one and probably deserves the... uh, the tagging with the loss, if, if uh, anybody does, if there's either group on either side that lost this game, it was the Ravens defense. And I'm not sure that I would I would put either group on either side as winning the game. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I don't think I disagree with that. I, I certainly don't think that Lamar is the story of why they lost the game. Now, I, you know, this is and again, this is why I do think this is compelling, right? I think there is a question as to whether or not the Ravens defense is just flat out bad. Um, I don't. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know right now if there's just not a chance that it, it, bad, whatever, whatever word you want to use. I think that's a really interesting story moving forward. And if that's the case, then unfortunately, I think there are going to be more times where Lamar might be asked to rally this team from down multiple scores in the fourth quarter. And if that's the case, you can't have the wheel route issue. You can't have the, you know, the desperate heave, like th- those things can't exist. So um, I'm not, I'm this, this one's not on Lamar. This is absolutely about the defense. And, you know, I do think the Browns are probably better than they looked for the first three weeks of the season, but, um, a big picture, I, this is going to be compelling as to whether or not the defense continues to be a problem and forces Lamar to be asked to do more and more moving forward. It is, is very interesting. The Ravens made all those moves, three moves to address inside linebacker. And I think we're going to see big changes there next week. 
I mean, we're talking about a word world where LJ Fort is going to be potentially being asked to do something. I'm I'm with you. Um, I'm I it's it look I. I I was down on C.J. Mosley because of his pass coverage, but I didn't think he was a bad football player. It's it's not easy to find um, inside linebackers that are great in pass coverage right now. Like They're unicorns. Luke, correct. It's it's Luke. I can I can name them. They're Luke Keekley. Um, like that's that's the list. It's really hard to find those guys at the moment, and that's why I do think that the, you know as as much as I think the Steelers are limited, I think this is going to be tricky on Sunday because the thing that they've proven to be able to do well so far is the thing that the Ravens are clearly vulnerable at, which is the middle of the field. All right. I love that you guys already dug into Yanda because it, it, it's even in the mailbag where Mr. Ed came up and said, Yanda gave up a single pressure this weekend. Is it time for him to retire? So he gives <laughs> up one pressure and people are calling for him to retire. Um, so so you for don't the have whole to year, he's that. up two pressures. <laughs> right. You dug into that enough. But Marcus points out that the – Offensive line seems to be getting no sell during play action. And he's wondering if you've noticed anything when watching your film. No, I don't really agree with that. Um, but here's, the, here's part of the problem. The basic play action boot, zone block, loop, zone block left, naked boot right, we talked about earlier. The problem is that Lamar is too mobile a quarterback and is always the focus of attention. So even turn your back play action doesn't fool the defense. They key on Lamar anyway. So Joe Flacco, as a less mobile quarterback, had an advantage on that, getting that ample time and space opportunity where he would roll right out of the pocket. Hmm. Uh, it's that's uh, I, the way you explain it makes complete sense, right? Like that it doesn't matter what you show me, I'm still going to be afraid of Lamar Jackson. Uh, I'm not going to be afraid of Joe Flacco taking off downfield. All right, Jalen is wondering about our wide receivers, wondering why Hollywood hasn't delivered any explosive plays the past couple games. And also wondering if we should use guys like Boykin and Scott, who are taller, downfield for these deep balls. I, I think mixing up the deep ball downfield is a great idea. Scott hasn't been active yet. That could change, I suppose, but uh, but it's not immediately apparent where his activation will come from in terms of a deactivation. Right. It also didn't seem as though the reason why he was the the, the Jaleel Scott thing is the one that like really does leave you scratching your head because like the word of why he got a roster spot was because of what he did in special teams. Well, if he's not on the field playing special teams, then I think you go back to your original question. What exactly was the reason for his roster spot? Not that I don't think he couldn't be a contributor at some point. I just, you know, that's one of those ones that really does leave you shaking your head. Like what, what, what exactly are we doing here um, when it comes to a guy like that? Well, I, I'm okay with the Julio Scott spot, frankly. And, and one, one thing you could, you could point it to it being on special teams only the Trollick spot was in a, in a lot of ways even more surprising. Now, I know they want a special teams leader, and they probably want one because they know they're going to have to cut Justin Pethel to recover the comp pick. So the, ah, they, they have to ah. cut him by the 10th week. So I think okay. they're hoping Trollick will be there. But that may be when Scott's opportunity comes up is, is they cut him and, and they need another guy for special teams, and he'll be in. It's interesting. Yep. All right, let's close out the mailbag with Brian's question about the defense. Do you think the Ravens have the right players on defense and they're playing poorly so they have a chance to improve or are they just not good players on this defense? Why don't you go first? I don't think that the inside linebackers are particularly good. I don't think the pass rushers are particularly good. Um, you know, I, this is if, if the, the root of this question is, is it the player's fault or the coach's fault? You know, can can more be done in scheming? I'm sure. But ultimately, the, the thing that we were talking about before, you're overusing two pass rushers, neither of whom are particularly great to begin with. I, I don't really know what more you can do 
with that group that can make it better, and it's why I keep asking this question. I have a real fear that this just simply isn't a very good defense. I, get, I think it's a, a decent run-stuffing defensive line uh, when healthy. I think that this thing where they're not getting enough pressure and where they're vulnerable in the middle of the field, I, maybe sliding in Tony Jefferson a little bit more, like maybe. I, I just don't know how those things get fixed. Um, I don't know that that's a scheme issue. I just think that's a they don't have the guys. Well, there's there's a there's a central problem here that I really don't like is that is Thomas is a single high safety who plays one of the deepest center fields in the entire league, and he yeah. has as really effective if you look at heat maps of where the ball went when he was in Seattle. They they really tried to actively avoid him, but part of the problem is that the the Ravens inside linebackers bite so easily on fakes that the the middle of the field between about ten yards and twenty yards, which is an enormous area, you might as well be you know, trying to chip into a swimming pool, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just huge in terms of the yep. ability to throw passes. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that can be schemed. That solution. I just don't know that that can, that, that I, I do really believe that just might be a personnel problem. Well, that, that the, the way that it looks like they're trying to address that is with LJ Ford, who might have a little bit more savvy in terms of not biting on fakes. But the other thing I think they might do is go to the quarter defense. And so we may okay. see, we saw Elliott, and he was playing a non-traditional dime down in distances this last week. So there's a lot of first and 10, second and 10, second and five kind of situations. And that's unusual. So he's playing more like regular will linebacker snaps. So it could be they're thinking, okay, Elliott still could come in and really help us in obvious passing situations next to Levine. So you play seven defensive backs instead of, instead of six. Okay. Okay. I'd like to see it. All right, Glenn. So uh, we introduced you at the top, but we didn't mention that you write for Press Box. You podcast and stream for do your radio show for Press Box. You got Project Game Day on Sunday. Now, you mentioned that tomorrow you've got Hayden Hurst on the show, but you didn't mention that you're kind of setting Hayden Hurst up by bringing Todd Heap onto the same show. That's true. So I like I, this is one of those, you know, here's a cheap radio idea is that the week play the Steelers, you try to do some old Raven Steelers crap because people will eat it up. But um, specifically, I thought about it. I'm sorry, my phone. I hate my phone. Um, I, specifically, I really wanted to bring Todd Heap on this week as I was I was going back and realizing this is 15 years to uh, essentially the week of the uh, Joey Porter cheap shot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the, uh, sadly, the more iconic Raven Steelers moments for the wrong reason, right? Um, and I'm, I'm Todd Heap, and I'll, I'll, I'll give it away because I always say this. Todd Heap, because of his schedule, he had to tape with me this afternoon. So we've already taped the interview. And there are some things that I learned that I never knew about Todd Heap's relationship with uh, Joey Porter over the years. And it's really fascinating stuff that I, I can't wait for people to hear tomorrow. Um, I, I don't want, I really don't want to give any of it away. I'm sorry. I don't, it's really fascinating. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm bringing Todd Heap on tomorrow to talk about that. He was also at the game on Sunday. And, um, so, you know, get his thoughts a little bit about what the, what he saw from the Ravens and, you know, that pendulum swing between offense and defense. But, um, the, the Joey Porter stuff is really, really like there's there. I, like I literally was almost like gasping, uh, at some of the stuff that I heard from Todd Heap. Uh, that you guys are going to hear on the show tomorrow. And then, yeah, Hayden Hurst, too. Um, uh, 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 some, some, you know, I, again, I don't want to give anything away, but there, there was some really compelling stuff from Hayden Hurst, too, about um, where he's at. And um, if you saw that picture that the Ravens shared of, of the three tight ends with their mustaches, 
Um, <laughs> I got I got to the bottom of that, and um, there is a fascinating update to the mustache situation that you'll learn about from uh, Hayden Hurst tomorrow. I, I hope oh. it's that you're joining in and also growing the mustache. I, I have tried for years. I am the most pathetic mustache grower in the history. Like I'd be kicked out of Super Troopers ah. because I cannot grow a mustache to save my life, and I have tried on so many occasions because I love, I dig the look of a mustache, but I have an awful, it just looks like pubic hair above my upper lip. <laughs> All right, Glenn, you mentioned, we're, Ken, we're going to get into this later this week when we really start looking forward to the Steelers game this weekend. But Glenn, I do have a question for you about this Steelers game. When the teams have changed so much and they're so different now, how do you feel going into a Steeler matchup? It's it's weird, right? Like it is weird, but you know, as I said, I still don't feel great going into this on Sunday. You know, I I know the Steelers have been down, but yeah, just unfortunately the way the Ravens played uh, defensively, I don't know that I can feel great about much of anything at the moment. I I do still get as as different as it is. It's not what Raven Steelers was. I still do get a little bit of a okay. This is this is still better than your average football game. Typically, this is still a little bit more exciting. I am still going to be a little bit more amped for this than I would be for just about any other game during the course of the season. I'm still a bit of a sucker for it. And maybe it's just, you know, a reminder of old feelings and things along those lines. But I can't help but have a little romanticism about Raven Steelers, even if we know it's it's not what it was, you know, for for a decade in the NFL or a decade plus, frankly. And not that I'm not romantic about it at all, but 62.4 percent say the gamblers, the Ravens win this game. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I mean, like straight up. Wow. Um, look, I get it. You know, it's probably, it has a lot to do with Mason Rudolph's the quarterback of the Steelers. I, I really do get it. I really do get it. Um, I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I watch how they use the middle of the field and I just say, I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the Ravens when it comes to the middle of the field. All right. Well, Ken, stop texting me jerks. I'm sorry. I'm trying uh, to figure out how to stop this. I thought, I thought you had a trumpet back there. Some trumpet practice going on. <laughs> Uh, Ken, we're going to get into this Steelers game in a couple of days with Alex uh, from Steeler Depot. What else is going on over at FilmStudyBaltimore.com? Film Study Baltimore, new name for the site. And uh, we've we've got offensive line grading out today. The defensive line stuff was there before. Uh, please come take a look, comment there. I love to answer your questions. And, you know, we, we probably take a fair percentage of the questions for the show from those comments directly. Uh, we had one question that was so great in its own right it came from a guy named steve i want to try and get him on the show to do a special short episode just on his question and his question was basically should the ravens move to the 335 nickel as a base package but anyway i would love to have questions that great and if they demand the time we'll have a special short episode to do them anyway at film study ravens on twitter filmstudybaltimore.com uh Lay it on me in terms of any questions or, or comments. All right. That sounds great. Glenn, thanks again for joining us. Great to always catch up with you. And Ken, we'll talk it. again soon.
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.